Hey there, welcome to the Soulful IVF podcast. Here we're all about empowerment and living our lives fully as we navigate through fertility treatments. In this space, you're invited to live in possibility. My name is Lisa and I'm your host, an occupational therapist turned IVF mama, soulful IVF coach and best-selling author. I'm here as your guide to walk alongside you, helping you lean in, keep that light alive and optimize this path. Here we have real, raw, heartfelt conversations about fertility and about life, covering the science and the soul. You'll hear from other women who have walked this path, fertility experts, and so much more. These inspiring conversations are here to help keep you moving forward, stay informed, and remind you you're not alone. We walk together. Buckle in and hold on, baby. You're in for quite the adventure. Let it begin. Hi, friend. I just want to thank you so much for being here. It's truly an honor. And especially this week, if you're catching this episode in real time, it's the kickoff for National Infertility Awareness Week. And Dr. Green and I had a recent conversation where we actually would like to change the title to National Fertility Awareness Week. And that's what this is about, really empowering us, being advocates, increasing our awareness fertility challenges and how to support ourselves as we're moving forward on this path. So I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome, Dr. Green. Hi, Dr. Green. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great too. Thanks for having a chat with me today. And the week we're releasing this episode is National Infertility Awareness Week. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I almost wish that we that like a lot of things that get renamed over time as our expectations change. I wish we just called it National Fertility Week. I totally because, agree. I mean, the, the reality is fertility needs and options have expanded dramatically. And there's a lot of people that, that need reproductive health services for reasons that are completely independent of lack of ability to conceive naturally. Mm, that's a very good point. I know it's, well, that's what they call it, right? N-I-A-W. So that that I stands for infertility, unfortunately, but I'm with you on, <laughs> let's rename yeah. it fertility, right? Yeah, and I think it also, it also kind of marginalizes a certain amount of the success that we're able to achieve in, in overcoming fertility problems, you know? And, you know, and again, it, it I think it all kind of goes back. You know, I've been doing this since 1995. Mm-hmm. And in the early days, you know, the, the word infertility had a real stigma attached to it. I remember in my training days at UCLA, you know, there'd be times that we would see patients that were prominent public figures in our office, you know, and then, you know, months later, they would announce their pregnancies and claim that they conceived naturally. And, and it's because, you know, a lot of these people were Hollywood people and they mm. felt it actually was so stigmatizing that, that they would actually go into People magazine, you know, talking about their natural pregnancies when we knew the truth. Interesting. You know? and, and now, I mean, think about it. You know, Michelle Obama conceived both of her daughters through IVF and was mm. very open about it. So, I mean, it gives you an idea of how things have changed. Yeah, being you know stigmatizing to now where you know we had a, a recent first family that was you know conceived as a result of these technologies. I wish she had been more open about it during her husband's presidency, don't you think? I mean, 
while he was in office, it would have been nice. I don't think she was very vocal about it when he was in office. You know, I think I don't really second guess other people's motivations. I think, you know, one of the things that, that I, I believe is that, um, Michelle Obama was was basically she seemed like she was trying to help raise a healthy family in in an otherwise very strained environment. You know, mm-hmm. what's considered normal. She didn't want her kids to be thrust in the spotlight during a tender age any more than they needed to be. That's a good point. And that, you know, I'm very respectful of that, you know, oh, because yeah, yeah. you know, she wanted to wait until they were adult enough that they could speak out on their own behalf. But she kind of wanted them to be able to attend school and have a fairly normal life. And she didn't thrust herself in the spotlight very often. And yeah. when she felt they were old enough and I don't know, maybe she even discussed it with them, you know, then she she felt comfortable, you know, disclosing. Yeah. No, I respect that, too. And I, I am glad more people are talking about fertility challenges, bringing awareness. And wasn't the latest statistic one in six individuals? now is diagnosed with fertility challenges, right? Well, exactly. And and that's, again, talking about people that are actively trying, and that doesn't include all of our same-sex couples or or single people that aren't able to try naturally. Right. You know, and so the point is, is I think fertility challenges are far more common uh, than they've ever been acknowledged in the past mm-hmm. and, and and today there's far greater access to overcoming these challenges and yeah. and I think my goal in in uh, national fertility awareness week is to make sure that all people are aware of these options including people that don't consider themselves infertile but mm-hmm. just might not realize the treatments are accessible to overcome things like an absence of a partner or the opposite sex Mm-hmm. There's so much, you know, this movement, this week that we're talking about, I was searching on the Resolve website, which is our National Infertility Association, that this movement was founded in 1989. So not that long ago. I mean, the mission is to empower you and change the conversation around infertility. Well, and, and they've accomplished an awful lot since then. I mean, yeah. You know, now, uh, I believe there are 19 states that have mandated fertility coverage, Colorado being one of the most recent ones. And you yeah. and I know that this is the first year that <clears throat> we've had a statewide mandate, which expands coverage, but it's still not universal, even in our, in our great state. You know, mm-hmm. and the point is, is, you know, 19 means we're not even halfway there when you consider, you know, how many states don't have oh my gosh. any coverage whatsoever. And and that's just the insurance coverage, you know. And so I think it's important to to you know make make the awareness uh, try to normalize things so that that we can discuss these things. People could request these things and mm-hmm. have a better idea of, of what technologies are out there and what they can offer. No, for sure. I mean, we're fortunate that we have Resolve as a resource to to learn more about how we can access, you know, more reproductive care, being advocates in this space and getting the support, education, awareness, all of that. I mean, they're really great about, you know, helping all of us feel empowered on this path. Well, it's, you know, Resolve is a great organization. There's also several other organizations. There's 
you know, Men Having Babies is another organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, American Society for Reproductive Medicine, which is the parent organization. You know, and I think they're all trying to target their audiences as well as advocate, you know, and I think one of the most recent examples of advocacy that we've experienced beyond insurance coverage was just being acknowledged as uh, an essential service. I don't know if you remember, but during the early days of the pandemic, you know, certain healthcare services were being shut down. People couldn't get some, you know, dental work. They couldn't get a lot of their eye care. They couldn't get a lot of things that were considered non-essential services. And it was acknowledged by, you know, uh, you know, a whole host of organizations that fertility services couldn't be shoved aside that way. Because Mm -hmm. number one, you know, fertility services are essential to those that want to seek them out. And they are somewhat time sensitive for a vast majority of those that are seeking them out as well. And therefore, it couldn't be just cast aside as something you needed to wait for till a more convenient time. Hi, friend. We all know how isolating and lonely this path can feel. And that's one of the reasons that I decided to create this podcast, because I know how hard it is. And I wanted to create a sacred space to connect and to share, to help you keep that light alive within. And if you find value in these conversations, it would mean so much if you would share this podcast with a friend, a fellow fertility sister. Let another woman know that she is not alone, but instead that she has a community who is there with her, ready and willing to hold space and help keep her moving forward. We need one another on this path. I would so appreciate if you would help me spread the word in reaching more women in search of support like this. I say this with all my heart. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm sure. Yeah, that impact during that time. You and I were having lots of conversations with absolutely during COVID, how that impacted. I mean, yeah, and, and you know, we all have like regulatory agencies we need to answer to. And so it's a matter of we could have very easily been forced to try to, you know, shut down in order to, to limit limit some of the things that we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. With this National Infertility Awareness Week, I didn't realize that it was in 2010 that it became a federally recognized health observance by the Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it's since that time, you know, and again, I think it, as we talk about fertility services instead of just talking about infertility. Yeah. It's also important, another subject you and I have addressed is egg freezing. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are just not currently in a relationship or they're on a certain career path and don't even know that there are options available today that, you know, to to preserve fertility because biology has always been the limiting factor. And too often in the past, people that, you know, were on a career track during, you know, what some people consider some of their peak you know, career years for advancement, weren't pursuing biological pregnancy in that time. And today through both egg freezing or embryo freezing, we have the ability to to overcome these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And I did an, a podcast episode on egg freezing. So yes. remind anyone to go check that one out. Um, we haven't done one on uh, 
save on a preservation of sperm, <laughs> would that be one that we, it would be a good topic to well, talk? It, it just seems like it's less biologically necessary um, because yeah. most men remain very fertile well into their 60s, you know, and there can be a decline in, in male fertility over time. But the reality is for the vast majority of men, it isn't. For uh, individuals that are transgender, it's it's recommended. For cancer patients, it's absolutely recommended. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, it's even being recommended by a lot of men that are undergoing vasectomy. Yeah, because okay. sometimes, you know, a guy undergoes a vasectomy and then things change either within their relationship or they find themselves in a new relationship. And mm-hmm. if they frozen sperm ahead of time, it can, you know, increase their options. Mm. Good info. Um, yeah, so this week is April 23rd to the 29th for National, I would like to say, Fertility Awareness Week. <laughs> I, think, I think it's something we should try to create a new trend because yeah. it should be about more than just infertility, but fertility in general. And they promote the color orange a lot during this week, especially on, I think it's a, a Wednesday during the week where this orange color really, they talk about this has a sense of wellness and, you know, raising awareness, educating others who just want to infuse this path with more compassion, warmth, um, you know, confidence, understanding. So just kind of orange. That's what they talk about the color orange representing. (laughs) Definitely be wearing my orange. (laughs) Yes. And um, using your voice. That's another theme I think for the week is use your voice. And I think this, you and I having these podcast episode conversations, you know, this is one way we are using our voices and having the hard, the hard conversations and the the much needed topics that aren't always talked about. And I I I appreciate you. I think, you know, not meaning to digress into things related to politics, but fertility awareness is important. And a lot of people aren't aware that a lot of the, 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 the changes that are going on, you know, uh, in terms of laws and whatnot, mm-hmm. they are affecting patients that are seeking fertility treatments as well. You know, wow. and, and a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, many of the same laws that are, are trying to target, you know, abortion or pregnancy termination are also seeking to limit the access to reproductive health services in general including mm-hmm. things like preserving eggs and embryos. And, and these are all technologies that, that, you know, many of us feel should be between a patient and their healthcare providers mm-hmm. and their partners. But uh, other people want to make it, you know, public in a way that, that uh, you know, is unfortunate. And I think that, mm-hmm. that uh, I think part of fertility awareness is making sure that people do realize that their vote counts. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the reproductive age population has one of the lowest voting records in terms of percent of people that actually vote. And a lot of these, you know, laws are being created by people with white hair who, you know, reproduction is something long past uh, their options. And, and, you know, I think it's important that if people want to continue to have access to, to fertility promoting procedures, they need to be aware and pay attention to what's going on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's unfortunate how many lawmakers are affecting men and women's lives in a huge way. <laughs> Not for the better. Um, any other final thoughts you'd like to leave? 
No, I like I said, I think if anything, I, I like to end on a positive note and talk yeah. about, you know, really the, the tremendous potential that things, you know, uh, offer mm-hmm. today. And you and I have spoken previously that, you know, I've been doing this since 1995. In the early days of my career, our goal was to create a, a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then as the technology got better, it, it became, okay, how do we create a pregnancy more reliably? And then it became, how do we create a pregnancy that only involves one baby at a time? Mm-hmm. And today, you know, it's completely changed where I sit down with every couple and I say, or individual, and I say, what does the ideal family look like to you? How many kids do you want? What's the absolute soonest you want the first one? And and we're able to more often than not come up with a plan that's going to meet that goal. And mm-hmm. it's all about trying to, you know, create and and nurture healthy pregnancies, preferably one child at a time, and really help people achieve their reproductive goals. Well, you're doing that and we're thankful for you and <laughs> all the other amazing reproductive endocrinologists and fertility specialists out there. We're all here to you know, help support individuals and growing their family. And so thankful for you. (laughs) You stay happy and keep doing what you're doing too. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Bye. This is where it begins. Letting the light in, soaking it in. Darling, don't you know that you've got a gift? So look deep within and make a wish. Let it lead how you live. Let it begin, let it begin.